So for the past 17 years, I have placed out in some form or another on whatever form of table we happen to have out on the chancel an Advent wreath and lit it for the four weeks. And for 17 years, I am sure there are some of you who at some point have watched me do this and have asked, why? Why this particular ritual? It isn't exactly meaningful to everybody sitting out in the crowd. Not all of us are waiting for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Not all of us are waiting for the coming of the Prince of Peace at all. John, you might as well do uh, something as meaningless as put an elf on the shelf up there if we're talking about waiting for something. Why? Why Advent? Why has it been so important to me all of these years? And the answer is simple and not. I think Advent is for everyone. I think Advent is for everyone. But how, right? One of the first readings of the Advent season comes from the prophet Isaiah, uh, who has many, many things to say in his text about the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who will save us all. And this verse in particular, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, I, like some of you, struggle a bit with this language. It's brewed into my culture and how I grew up, but over the years, especially as a Unitarian Universalist, and especially now as a UU minister, I get a little squicky around the king language. The Lord language. but go with me for a minute here. The, the Lord, written in the Hebrew Scriptures at this point in Isaiah, is Yahweh, yod heh which I've talked about on several occasions before. Uh, we can look at as a complex form of the verb to be, that which is becoming that which shall be, or as I've shortened it in the past, everything, all that is. In the wilderness, prepare the way for all that is, that becoming that which shall be. In the earliest gatherings of Christians, not long after the death of Jesus, the image most often used was not that of a king, was not that of the dying and rising God. It was the good shepherd. You can find images of it still painted in Roman buildings around Judea. They found it among ruins. 
the earliest concept of Jesus was as the good shepherd. Now, we have shepherds in town, but I don't think any of us are one. Yes? No? Okay. So maybe we need a slightly better metaphor to, to slap onto there. I've talked a lot about the neighborhood these last few years. Not the kingdom, but the neighborhood is what we are trying to build, the beloved community. So maybe what we're waiting for, all of us, is the arrival of the good neighbor. And who is my neighbor? We've talked about this several times as well. Who could be the good neighbor we are waiting for? Our great uh, religious education pioneer, Sophia Lyon Foz, wrote this many, many years ago, and it sits in our hymnal, and I haven't used it in a long time. For so the children come, and so they have been coming. Always in the same way they come, born of the seed of man and woman. No angels herald their beginnings. No prophets predict their future courses. No wise men see a star to show where to find the babe that will save humankind. Yet each night a child is born is a holy night. Fathers and mothers sitting beside their children's cribs feel glory in the sight of new life beginning. They ask, where and how will this new life end? Or will it ever end? Each night a child is born is a holy night, a time for singing, a time for wondering, a time for worshiping. Every Christmas Eve, I talk about the birth of hope. And my concept is pretty well akin to this. It could come from anywhere. But not only could it come from anywhere in that moment of potentiality in a new child arriving, that potential remains with us throughout our lives. There's an old story of the desert fathers, the early monks living in the desert in their monasteries. Once there was a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. Some of the younger monks had left in dissatisfaction, and no new men were joining. There were but a handful of monks and their leader, the abbot, remaining. They began fighting amongst themselves, each blaming the hard times on the faults and the failings of the other. One day, a traveling rabbi stopped at the monastery for a night's rest. He ate and prayed alongside the other monks, 
And the next day, as the rabbi prepared to continue on his journey, the abbot drew him aside. He told them of the problems of the monastery and asked him for his observations or some advice to share with the other monks. And upon hearing the abbot's woes, the rabbi was quiet for some time. Cannot you give me some advice to help my monastery to thrive again, the abbot begged. Your monks will not listen to my advice, the rabbi replied. But perhaps they would benefit from an observation. The Messiah dwells among you here at this monastery. One of us? asked the abbot. Which one? No, that I cannot say. Share this with your brothers, and in time it will be revealed to you. The abbot thanked him and sent him on his way, and then gathered all his monks together, the ones who remained, and they listened in amazement to the news. One of us. But who? Each one asked out loud. Then to themselves they wondered, it could be Brother Robert. Or could it? Surely not Brother Henry, but there are times when not the youngest, well, maybe the abbot himself? Could it be me? Soon things began to change at the monastery as each began to see the Messiah in the other and to hear the Messiah's words in each word spoken. And soon people began to wander back to the monastery. And in time, new monks joined and the monastery thrived. The Messiah is among you. Each person, due to our own inherent worth and dignity, due to the potentiality that exists in all of us, we have the potential to be the Messiah, the good neighbor. Not just at the moment of our birth, but at every rebirth and season of renewal we arrive at. We have time to grasp back on to that potentiality. After all, as the old saying goes, we are the ones we're waiting for. So we are waiting for the coming of the good neighbor, who could be any one of us, who could be a whole bunch of us, who could be all of us. But how? How do we wait? Well, we light a candle to start, but it seems like the least we could possibly do in this circumstance. We light the candle because it's like the string around our finger. We are being reminded that we have to do something amidst all of this waiting. 
We have to be intentional about the time we are taking and what we are doing. It's very hard to consider in these darkest times, not just because of our seasonal affective disorder, but because we tend to spend a lot of time at the end of the year inventorying all the positive and negative experiences that we have, and sometimes we lean a little more heavily on the negative experiences, whether we deserve that or not. We need to hit the pause button on that. So we light a candle, and we remember what we need to do as we wait. Isaiah doesn't say, wait in the wilderness for the good neighbor to come. Prepare in the wilderness a highway. Prepare to welcome the unknown, the guest, the stranger, the neighbor you didn't know you had yet. The customs of hospitality in the Jewish culture, even then, living in those desert environs was sacrosanct, was sacred. For the traveler passing through, for the immigrant to the new land, welcome them in. Give them food and water and shelter for the night if they need it. Show them you mean them no harm. We're making up a room. We're making up a room in our hearts for whatever it is that is coming, for whatever potentiality there might be out there. Here to renew us, revive us, here to show us how to be the good neighbor. Isaiah even gives us some instructions on how we prepare. Make straight in the desert a highway, lift up every valley, lower every mountain and hill, make the uneven ground level, and the rough places plain. We're not waiting like the loyal hound at the window for us to come home from work. As joyous as that experience can be for those of us who have had dogs in our lives. We are not the wistful dog. We are actively preparing. We are making a space, and we are making that space accessible, and we are readying ourselves to be open to the opportunity that may be arriving. When someone appears as a good neighbor, or by some grace, we find that in ourselves. The rush of holiday preparations look kind of like this, but we're preparing for others. We are uh, engaging in our own form of a hospitality to others with gifts and food and welcoming into our homes, perhaps, and giving some shelter if they're not ready to drive home yet. But the Advent preparation is soul work, is heart work. 
a good neighbor is among you. Could be here any moment now. Is it you? Is it me? Maybe. We are called to prepare in the homes of our hearts a room for the guest who will arrive, making the pathway straight, lowering the mountains, clearing away as many obstacles as we can so that the path is clear and they can find their way in or we can find our way at last into our own hearts. And so we break for a time and hit the pause button and contemplate. Take that inventory your brain is just going to take off and do anyway for the year and, and, and ask it some questions. Be purposeful in how you review your time. Your meditation could be as simple as this. Week one in hope we focus on. Ask what is the one moment in the past year or the past months, what is the one moment that gave me hope? How do I convert this into a fuel for my soul? Ask, where can I be? How can I be? Someone else's moment of hope. Week two for peace. Where have I found peace in my life, even if just for a moment? And friends, sometimes all we can do is find a little moment. Sometimes it's all we get, so it is precious. And we need to inventory those. Where have I found peace in my life? How do I bring that with me? into every room I walk into, into every interaction that I have with others. How am I the source of another's peace? And joy. What has brought joy to us? What was the moment, the single second in time where we felt not just a delight, but an expansive happiness, an elation in the world around us. Where have I found that moment? How do I give that to another? Or at least refrain from tamping down on another's joy if they're having that moment. And at last, love. Because it all comes back to love.
when have I felt love? Not just that, oh, I love that, but the transcendent love. The love that is created when we tie together those moments of hope and peace and joy that lead us to a transcendent love, a love that leaves us feeling even briefly connected to everything. Your contemplation can be as simple as that, but also as complicated as that. Sometimes those aren't easy questions to answer, but that's why we pause and take the time. So light a candle once in a while throughout this season. Pause in the blistering, breakneck pace. It doesn't have to be an Advent wreath. If that's not your jam, that's fine. It could be a tea light you forgot you had in the utility drawer, but light it and remember why and take the time to contemplate, to take that inventory, to prepare. Advent may not be for you. Maybe it isn't for everyone. One ritual can't be all things to all people. But bear in mind, bear in heart, bear in soul, the good neighbor is among us. It could be even you. So may we all take some time in this season to straighten the pathways, to sweep up the corners, to dust the mantle, to put out the doormat and be ready to nourish and shelter the good that can still be yet to come. Maybe so.